Business leaders today need to go beyond meetings and management. There are action steps that nearly every leader needs to know to align with their core values and get the important priorities done. Welcome to the Grow Forward Today podcast with Paul D. Casey. Whether you're just starting out as a leader in your organization or have been a seasoned professional who wants to explore new ideas and practices, this will be an enlightening and highly applicable program. And now, your host, Paul Casey. Welcome to the Family Feud. Not really, but do you have a favorite game show? Ever wanted to facilitate fun for others? You're going to enjoy this entertainer today. Today on episode 36 of the Grow Forward Today podcast, you'll meet my guest, Rob Ferrey. Rob wears multiple hats, and under each one is a ton of fun. It rhymes. Whether it's running a game show for a company party or emceeing a large event, he brings enthusiasm and laughter to any group he's part of, and you can learn from him to boost your influence and personal leadership development. Ready to grow forward? Welcome, friends. In professional speaking, they say that being funny gets you the money. That's also an important little nugget of insight if you want others to listen to your message or simply to be more likable. I remember learning that as soon as I hit the college campus many years ago as a shy freshman. If I could make a girl laugh, I realized we had made a connection. Good for me, right? I enjoy speakers. I enjoy comedians who make me smile. And it's been proven that if you use humor and get people moving, they're more likely to learn what you're teaching. And we'll have a great time doing it. And you will be memorable. I have brought one of the masters of this craft before you today. My guest today is Rob Ferrey. Here's a little bit about Rob. Rob has spent most of his life and career getting people engaged in an experience. From Disney to DJ, from Des Moines to Dubai, his work has been built around studying the habits of effective teams and how leaders can make work fun again. Clients like Amazon, Dell, and LinkedIn are just a few of the groups who have raved about Rob's custom host experiences. Not only does he bring the energy, the humor, and the fun, and yes, the music, Rob also brings his four-step system that leaders can implement immediately to create stronger, more engaged teams. His interactive events are designed to get your people moving, inspire them to seek change, and leave them with a method of putting it into action for years of positive results. Rob and I met each other in San Diego as part of the Rising Tide Connection Group, and he was the first to come over and greet me and ask about my life and business. Welcome, Rob. Why, thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction, man. I I think I'm probably going to take your script and... uh put that onto my website or something. That was fun. Well done. Well done. I appreciate it. Well, Rob, you're a man of many hats, entertaining, life-giving hats. So before we dive into each one, what was the journey that led you to what you're doing now? So we're going with the origin story. Yeah. How how early do we want to go back? He was born in a hospital. No, not not that far. (laughs) You know, um, I, I, I consider myself uh, been an entertainer all my life. I've, I've always taken to the stage. I've always uh, wanted to be on stage. I remember in second grade, I went to a ballet, and I was staring at that stage uh, with my schoolmates, and I saw two young men holding the train of the queen in this ballet. It was for Cinderella, I believe. And I s- leaned over to my friend, and I said, man, those two are so lucky. And I thought to myself, one day I would love to be on that stage. Funny enough, a year later, I was on that stage performing. 
and this was a stage in Salt Lake City, Utah, called the Capitol Theater. And uh, it's one of my favorite stages that I've ever performed on. And ever since then, I've always been one to take a stage. Now, stages are all over in my life, either from, you know, like a middle school performance to emceeing a multi-day conference or to even working at the Nickelodeon Hotel. And I'll get there in just a moment. So when I graduated in college in 2003, I had a broadcast degree, and I was trying to figure out, what am I going to do with this? And I remembered all the way back then, I enjoyed the entertainment aspect of television, but I didn't like the salacious news aspect of it. And I, I went into TV thinking, oh, I could be a reporter, and I had a report on a murder, and I did not enjoy it at all. <laughs> so... My life changed shortly after that, and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I found this opportunity to do an internship with uh, Walt Disney World, if you're familiar with that brand, in Orlando, <laughs> Florida. So I moved all the way down there in 2004, shortly after I graduated, and I did what was called the Walt Disney World College Program Internship. Little did I know that this internship would not be exactly what I thought it would be. It was more like working on the front lines of Disney. So I get there, and they give me my assignment at the first day orientation. They give you a letter. And as you open up the letter, you slowly discover where you're going to be put. Hmm. And as I open up that letter, the first line says, you'll be working at MGM Studios. Our, studio, our audience out there are all going to say, Ooh, very good. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> and then I found out that I'd be working in attractions and operations. And the audience says, ah. ah. And then shortly after that, I found out what attraction I would be working on or slash operation. I had my mind set on like the Tower of Terror, the right. great movie ride, yes. something fun. And they placed me in the parking lot. No. Operation. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a college degree, and here I am, plopped down into the parking lot, pointing <laughs> people to their cars, giving directions, a human stoplight. <laughs> I'm telling people which direction to go. And it wasn't the sexiest of jobs. It wasn't the job that I was thinking I would get when I no. worked at Walt Disney World. But what Walt Disney World taught me, and when you work for Disney, you go through what is called traditions. And traditions teaches you the tenets of the Disney methodology. Okay. Always be on show because you're always on stage. When employees of Disney are called cast members, in case you didn't know that. They're not called employees. They're not called team members. They're called cast members because you are always on stage. And so I was one of the first points of customer service True. contact yes. as people entered the park. So I still had to give them a magical experience. And one <laughs> of those ways I got to do that was on the tram. Have you ever boarded a tram at a theme park? Well, oh, yeah. I was that guy. <laughs> so I was the guy, when you boarded the tram, I was on the back of the tram and I would say, you have parked your car in Goofy 55. Please lower your head and watch your step. If you don't lower your head, please watch your language. This is a family theme park. 
<laughs> and so I wanted to turn that into a fun experience. And I was mm -hmm. inspired by the Jungle Cruise. I went on the Jungle Cruise during my college program and I was like, this ride is amazing. These jokes, these terrible dad jokes. I want to yes. tell these. Yes. That's the job I really wanted. But I was stuck in the parking lot. I had a four month contract. So what did I do? I took the Jungle Cruise experience and put it on the tram. And I had a lot of fun. And I remember the culmination of all my effort and work. I script, scripted things out on the back of that tram and I would create this experience as people would exit the park at the end of the day. <clears throat> and I remember a father came up to me at the end of the day and he said, you have just completed our day and made this a total magical experience from the gates of the park to our car. Thank mm. you. And there he handed me a $20 bill. As a cast member, we're not supposed to take tips. Okay. Did I take that $20 bill? You bet I did because <laughs> I, I, I worked. I'm I worked telling. for it. <laughs> but what changed for me uh, were two things. Um, I performed at the Walt Disney World College Program Talent Show. And at that talent show, I met my mentor, Elliot Hansen. When he saw me perform my world-famous Foray family magic show, which is completely farcical, and you can always look it up online if you ever want to see it. I did this magic show, and a couple weeks later, he saw me at another college program event where he was DJing. And he saw me interact and engage people. And he approached me and said, have you ever thought about being a DJ? I was like, well, I was a DJ in college. He's like, no, an interactive theme park DJ. That intrigued me. So he gave me his card, and then I started working with him. And I became an interactive theme park DJ. When my college program uh, contract was up, I applied for the Jungle Cruise, and I got the Jungle Cruise ride. And then yes. a, a year later, I applied for a job at the Nickelodeon Hotel, where I was a game show host and DJ. And so my world opened up. And all it took was somebody to believe in me and open that door mm -hmm. for me. And Elliot gave me that opportunity to start DJing and start working at all the theme parks, at Universal Studios, at SeaWorld, at Disney, downtown Disney, and all these different places. And that's where I got started as an entertainer. I know this was a long origin story, but it gives you context as to where I started because it takes opportunity, finding those opportunities, but also somebody to say, I believe in you and let's build you into something more because you have talents and they can't be stuck in a parking lot. And so I was there for about three years and I moved back here to Utah. I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I started my entertainment business. And over the last 15 years, I have evolved and created a variety of offerings from DJs to game shows. And then I moved into the speaking business where I started using the methodology that I learned as an interactive theme park DJ and use it in leadership. Mm -hmm. You want to learn more? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that methodology was actually sprung upon me. Elliot taught me this. Well, the way he taught me how to play these games and how to engage an audience, at the time I never thought, oh, this is something that is rooted in leadership. I never thought about that until I became a speaker. But the activities I would do, 
this was the my one of my favorite jobs when I lived in Orlando. I worked at Universal Studios and I was at the City Walk. The City Walk is the shopping area. They have a movie theater, restaurants. You have to enter the City Walk before you go into the theme parks. And bef- as you leave the theme parks, you have to walk through City Walk to get back to your car. So our job was to keep people at City Walk once the day was over keep them engaged, keep them going to the restaurants and the shops. So as they were leaving the theme park, they would walk through this plaza back to their cars, to the parking lot, and I had to engage them and keep them there. So how did we do that? Through a game show. As you're walking through that plaza, you hear my voice come over the PA system, and I say, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Universal City Walk. As you are leaving the park today, We invite you to be a part of an experience. I have free stuff, and if you like free stuff, come find me because I'm going to play this TV theme song, and the first person to come and find me will get these beads. And I had these Mardi Gras beads that we would give away because that was the theme at the time. And as they're walking around, I would play TV theme songs. I would start usually with one of my favorites, which is from the 80s, and it was... The theme song from Knight Rider. It's yes. a very subtle theme. You remember this Yeah. Exactly. And people would approach me, and they'd run up to me, and I know it's Knight Rider. And i give them some beads. And then I would start doing different types of songs and challenges, and I would start gathering a crowd. And so this starts with my methodology, which is called I Go, Initiate, Guide, Own. So the first step was initiating and getting people's attention. And as we are leaders and people who are diving into this type of world or whatever they do, they're usually the ones that have to be to initiate the idea. Yep. And sometimes, if it's not even your idea, you can initiate action by being a part of something bigger. So what I did is I initiated. And then... As I gathered a crowd, I would usually have around 40 to 50 people. At that point, I knew I had them in the palm of my hand. Mm -hmm. But the goal, which I didn't explain earlier, was to get people to walk towards the stage and get excited for the band. They had this band there, this cover band that would perform for a half hour at a time, and then I would come back for another half hour. But the band needed to perform to an audience. <laughs> so whose job was to create an audience? That you. was me. So once I had 40, 50 people, I would do the next step, which is guidance. I would guide them in dances. Because if I just wanted to start a dance party, okay, guys, let's, uh, let's start a dance party. Let's, uh, let's create a circle. And okay, who's ready to do the worm? Who's ready? It doesn't quite work like that. And oftentimes when you have family members and peoples and strangers, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how it works. And so I guided them in dance. And there's a lot of songs and dances out there that I can get people to interact and engage. Back then, my go-to was the cha-cha slide, if you're familiar (laughs) with this one. And for all our listeners, you might recognize this tune if I were to say, everybody clap your hands. And then you go, clap, clap, clap. See, there you <laughs> <Yeah>. are. <laughs> I'm with you're you. clapping, Paul. I appreciate it. Uh, maybe you're clapping in your car or while you're on the treadmill. Who knows? And that song would be guiding people. 
Let's mm-hmm. think of some other songs that would guide people. The Hokey Pokey. Yep. Or the Macarena. It doesn't quite guide you, but there are there is a set dance to that song, right? But the cha-cha slide is fairly simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody clap your hands. Right step. Slide to the left. Cha-cha forward. Backwards. Things like that. And then once I guided them in dance, I would get them to the stage. And then the last step is ownership. I wanted them to own the dance floor and feel like this is their party. They're a part of this. Because when it comes to dancing and engagement, sometimes we like to know it's our own idea, that we weren't forced upon it. Mm-hmm. You remember those awkward middle school dances? Did you ever have a middle school, high school dance, Paul, that you went to and you just <laughs> Oh, felt please like... don't remind me. Okay, so now you're now you're getting that feeling back, right? So here you are, staring at the middle of the dance floor, maybe even a dance circle, and people don't know what to do. And then you push a kid into the center of the dance circle. Oh, Paul, you know what to do. You're funny. You're charismatic, and you're like, I don't know what to do. This is awkward. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. The best type of dances and the best type of dance circles happen when people want to showcase and they want to do it all on their own accord. Yeah. So my 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 job was to inspire them to dance. So think about this in your own business or yep. your own team that you lead and manage. Initiate. You have to get out there. You have to present an idea. And as a leader, you also are the DJ. What? DJs have a lot of power. DJs mm-hmm. control the music that gets people to dance. Now, the best kind of dance parties are when DJs know their audience. They also take requests, but they don't take all the requests and play them. So for example, Paul, if somebody were to come up to me and we're at the theme park where I'm a big, huge dance party and they say, hey, can you play Stairway to Heaven? Great song, but playing all seven minutes to Stairway to Heaven in the middle of a dance party would kill the dance party. Yep. So you can take requests, but they gotta be the right requests. And sometimes you take a risk with some of those requests, and sometimes they pay off. So as a leader, we have to initiate, we have to listen to our audience, know our team members, and see what the market is asking for. Whatever you were, your circle of influence. And this methodology also goes back to what I call being the first on the dance floor, creating a movement. And we see movements all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these movements are started by like one or two people trying to get others to come a part of it. But if you have a great idea, you need to guide others and let them teach others as well. Because sometimes we are constantly trying to teach people and we're, we're the, the spark plug, right? That yep. gets the battery in the car going. Yes. But the battery are your people. The battery is what keeps the car running, the engine running, right? But we're the spark that gets it going. And the thing is, we can't always be there as leaders because that leads to burnout. Right. We need to lead others, guide them, and let them own it as well. And we see movements all the time. And we see how people want to be a part of movements. There's a term that you may know. Let's find out. FOMO. What does FOMO stand for? Fear of missing out. Exactly. 
And I have a lot of FOMO in my life. There's often times where I, I know there's a conference going on, a gathering, something where I know a lot of my friends are going to be and I want to be there. And uh, sometimes I act out of FOMO. And uh, sometimes I just react because I want to be a part of something. So, for example, let's go back to the ice bucket challenge. Do you remember that? It was yes. about six, seven years ago. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was quite an interesting phenomenon, cultural phenomenon. Do you remember why? What was the why behind the ice bucket challenge? Do you remember that, Paul? I do not remember it. It was, it was a cause, though, wasn't it? It was a, was it it a was cause. It was a cause. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I'll give you that. The reason I think the Ice Bucket Challenge, one, it was for a great cause. Two, it was a cultural phenomenon that was very different. So the cause was for ALS research, mm. which is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Yep. And it was started by a man named Pete Frades out of New England, Boston area, I believe. And he started this challenge by dumping a bucket of ice water over your head. And then what would happen is you would challenge two or three people to do it as well. You post it on social media. You dump the ice bucket over your head, and then you ask others. I challenge you to challenge three other people. And so with that, you initiate, but then you also guide others in how to do this. And because of this, people started raising money towards ALS, and the why was to help this cause and bring more awareness, more funding, and helping those who are battling ALS to survive a little bit longer. We still haven't found a cure, but we've been able to extend lives. And for me, I remember thinking it was silly, and why should I do this thing and dump ice all over my head? But then I got that FOMO factor. There is something that is called the law of diffusion of innovation. Have you heard of this? No. Okay, so the law of diffusion of innovation. You're going to look at like a bell curve. I'm just going to draw this in the air for all our mm -hmm. friends who are just listening. Pretend there's like a nice arc. Mm -hmm. And at the very beginning of the arc on the left-hand side or the right-hand side, at the beginning of the arc are the innovators. These are the people that initiate and create the ideas. And then as you slowly go up this bell curve, the second portion are the first followers, mm -hmm. or the early adopters. So we all don't have to be innovators in these ideas, but we can be early adopters, okay? So if you are supporting an idea, if you're supporting a manager, and you're seeing that they're struggling, you can be an early adopter and get others to join as well. I think when it comes to also leadership is getting peer-to-peer -peer action, right? I didn't know Pete Frades in Boston, Massachusetts. But once I started seeing my peers engaging in the ice bucket challenge, I said to myself, I need to be a part of this. I have a little bit of FOMO, right? <laughs> and so I started challenging others, and we started guiding each other. And then the entire movement is owned by the people. And we're yep. guiding others. We're owning it ourselves. And it became upon me to, to do it as well. And as you go up this bell curve, it's right towards the top, and it's what is called the tipping point. And the tipping point is when it just gets into the zeitgeist and it just takes flight. 
So sometimes it's a slow burn. It takes a little while to get up there. But once we get to that tipping point, everything starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So as a part of a leadership group, if you are a part of a team, you want to be an early adopter. You want to be an innovator. You want to help others. And as a leader, you want to have those same ideas presented to your group and ask for those requests and give people opportunities to be empowered to do more. So that is IGO, Initiate, Guide, Own. IGO. Rob, that's amazing. I mean, there's so many things that I uh, want to uh I want to just reinforce, we'll probably do it right after the break, but just, just uh, yes. to put a capstone on this part, you're always on stage. Love that part yes. of the Disney philosophy there. Leaders always have to remember that they're modeling the way. They're the ones that yes. people are looking at from the moment they walk in the door. Uh, love the mentor principle that what Elliot did for you. Um, yes. We all need those folks that are a little bit further down the road that can inspire us, see something in us that we didn't see in ourselves. Uh, the I go so great. Uh, it also reminds me, like you said, know your audience that we could take requests, but we don't heed every request. We need to take input right. from our people uh, around us and from our circle of influence, but we don't implement every idea that they give us. So that was another, that was like another good takeaway. Love the spark plug and battery idea that we all have the opportunity to be a spark plug in either someone else's life, like our family. Uh, closest yes. to us or our teams. Um, but it's the battery, which is the folks owning that change, that vision, uh, whatever that that healthy culture that you're trying to uh, put out there. That's the thing that keeps it going because the leader can't always be there spinning the plate. So yeah, let's let's talk more in just a minute. Let's take a quick break. You are listening to the Grow Forward Today podcast on the Voice America Business Channel. You can contact me at Instagram at Growing Forward Services and my guest, Rob Ferre on Instagram. He's at R-O-B-F-E-R-R-E. It's Rob Ferre. We'll come back after the break. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, principles of a good DJ, a master of ceremonies, and so much more of how you can bring energy to your meetings and your culture. Stick with us. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. If you're a manager or supervisor trying to keep your team and yourself engaged, motivated, and accomplishing goals, then you want to check out Bullseye. Paul Casey's membership community for team leaders, coming alongside you to achieve confidence and success in leading your team. Within Bullseye, there are plug-and-play forms and tools, inspirational audios to pump you up, team player videos to play in staff meetings, icebreakers for your one-to-ones, and, of course, interaction with Paul and other industry team leaders to chat about how to solve the problems you are wrestling with. Paul will bring on live experts once a month to answer your questions on their expertise, and he will ping you twice a week via text to encourage you in your pursuit of your goals. Finally, there is a resource for anyone who supervises others and wants to develop their potential. Check out Bullseye to find out more and subscribe today for the best rates they'll ever be at growingforwardservices.net. That's growingforwardservices.net. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to the Grow Forward Today podcast. If you'd like to know more about Paul Casey or our program, please visit his website at growingforwardservices.net. Now, back to Grow Forward Today. Welcome back to the Grow Forward Today podcast. I am here with Rob Ferre, and he has just uh, laid down a whole bunch of great wisdom with his iGo system for uh, whether it's leadership or you just want influence anywhere in the world You've got to start with initiating and then you guide and show people a way to interact and then they start owning it and it goes viral every time. No, not maybe not every time, but not every time. you get the point. There's there's a lot, there gets to be a lot more um, movement towards the cause or the vision. So Rob, you're also a DJ. What makes for a good yeah. DJ? How do you add that extra special touch when you DJ? Yeah, so this is... Uh where I started as an entertainer, I always wanted to find different opportunities to be in front of people. And DJing is one of them. A lot of uh, the events that I started with was working in the theme park. <laughs> and it was, it was interesting because I worked at Universal Studios at the Men in Black ride. My first job was playing music while people waited in line to get in the ride. I mean, <laughs> how odd is that? A lot of people get started by doing the club scenes or maybe doing weddings, whatever it may be. I started playing in theme parks while people waited in line to go on a ride. And what I loved about that job was is I had a new audience every 20, 30 minutes because they would cycle <laughs> through. So I could practice my material and practice my bits and find the songs that worked. And if I played a song and it failed, it didn't matter because yeah. they were gone. Right. And so I started working on that craft. And I think a good DJ has hours and time to really figure out what an audience will react to. And once again, taking requests. Um, I was highly engaging early on. I've evolved my, my style as the years have gone on. But I would often get on the microphone, get out and dance with people, show them how it was done. As I evolved as a DJ, I am now finding the songs that I enjoy playing, and but finding those nuggets, those songs that get people to turn around and go, oh, wow, I haven't heard this in a while, or this is a fun transition, this is a great remix. And what it makes me a better DJ is learning from those who've done it before, who are doing it better. Um, a lot of the great DJs that I know have big musical backgrounds. And I always like to categorize DJs into different categories. Like uh, myself, I'm an entertainment-based DJ. You have DJs who come from, from musical backgrounds. And then you have DJs who are engineers who like to put all the equipment together. And sometimes I just think of big kids building forts at <laughs> special events. They're building their whole thing and they're getting excited about it. But I think some of the best DJs, they know their audience because they are playing for them and they don't make it about themselves. 
and with any leader, with anybody that is communicating or creating something with their audience is they need to know their audience and play for them. And so there are so many genres of music. And so is this a country crowd? Is this a Spanish crowd? Is this, do they want Latin music? Do they, do they want, in, do they want hip hop? If I do the cha-cha slide, will they react? Will they, if I do the YMCA, will they boo? So you got to know those audiences. Um, those celebrity DJs or the DJs that are working in clubs and that people go to see, those are very different because sometimes they have a format, as we call it. Like you go to see a DJ to play house music or whatever it may be. And then you have what is called open format where it's all in the DJ to play music and just get people riled up. So I, I'm more open format. I want to be able to mix and do different things that get people to react. So it's, no, a, it's an evolving thing for me constantly. Yeah. 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 And I, I love the leadership principle there too. Like it's not about you. I mean, we always have to keep saying that to ourselves uh, with whatever group we're in. It's not about us. If you want to have influence, just droning on in a meeting or, um, joining on even with your own family, uh, they're going to start tuning you out after a while. You've got to figure out what ignites them and learn their learning style, learn their personality style to see what connects with them. Okay, yeah, then yeah. you're master. Oh, good. <clears throat> well, I, I just want to give a quick story because the thing is, I'm not, I, there have been times where I've screwed up royally. Sure. Where I've played songs and the audience didn't react. There was this time where I was doing this wedding, and this bridesmaid kept coming up to me and feeding me songs. <laughs> and by the time I came to the end of the evening, I was done with her. I'm like, we're done taking your requests. I am going to play music that's going to keep these people out there. And as I'm playing the final songs of the night, the whole family is swaying, singing along, and dancing. And she comes up to me, and she says, I don't like this song. Change this song. This song is crap. Which I took personally mm. I then made it about me and not my audience and I felt she was insulting me whereas it's not about me but I made it about me and mm -hmm. so what did I do is I stopped the music and I started having an argument with her <laughs> because she said to me she's like we need to stop this music I'm like you want me to stop this music and I shut it down <laughs> it was a very painful this is a very painful uh memory to go back to because I was not in the right state of mind. And I, and I want to get vulnerable with the audience because the thing is, is there have been times where I screwed up royally, but I always go back to those times knowing that what I did is I made it about myself and it wasn't about the audience. And what could I have done at that moment was maybe validate and say to her, yeah, maybe this song isn't the best song. Maybe you don't like this song, but today we're celebrating this bride, and this is what she requested. There you Instead go. Of saying, hey, why are you attacking me? And so uh, there's a big leadership there lesson there as well. Oh, there is. We can't take things personally sometimes because we don't know what the audience is going through. And maybe they don't want you to fail. They're also making it about themselves at that point. You can listen, you can nod your head and you say, I hear you, I understand you, but I'm not doing that song right now. 
Yeah, we have a choice every conversation, whether to take offense or not. And so uh, just backing up what you said, we have to remove the comment about our idea, even our behavior from us and our identity, because that's when we start our hackles start going up. We start getting defensive or fighting back. Great leadership principle there. So, Rob, you're also a master of ceremonies. So tell us all that you're doing, not all that you're doing, but, you know, some of the things you're doing before to prepare for the event, during the event, to be that MC that ties it all together. I had the luxury of being able to have different types of opportunities and events to host, to be on a microphone and be in front of an audience. And you can call it an MC, a master ceremonies, a host, whatever it may be. We're the ones guiding everybody and letting them know what's about to happen, giving them context, giving them guidance from the stage. So a great MC knows their audience, they know the schedule, and they know where we are going. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I always have to do is prepare by knowing the timeline and knowing how to take people from one situation or one event to the other or one portion of the evening and I did training on this there's actually people who train other people as MCs and uh, I did some training and, and a lot of where I started was <clears throat> within the weddings industry I would MC do introductions and and get people hyped for weddings and what I loved about that when I look back at it there's not a lot of MCs that are maybe in the corporate world or in the professional world that did weddings. Because at weddings, I felt like I was involved in every single aspect. I knew what was happening. I would talk to the different vendors that were there, making sure I'm communicating with the photographer or the mm -hmm. event planner. And I will never make a, an announcement or speak over the mic until we know the plan is in place. Yeah. And so... Think about some of the MCs that you've seen or maybe even watched on TV. Ryan Seacrest is a great example of him letting the audience know all about what's about to happen on American Idol, right? <clears throat> or the times where a host or an MC maybe screws up on the microphone and they, they reveal something that wasn't supposed to be revealed <clears throat> and then they have to backtrack, right? And so what makes a great MC also is knowing the plan, executing the plan, and making sure they are double and triple checking before they make an announcement. And sometimes we do have to backpedal and change things out. But let's say you're getting in front of an audience. I think one of the most important things is establishing credibility as the voice of the event. And you do that all with your welcome. When you come out, and you welcome an audience or you greet an audience, they know exactly who's in charge and who is going to be guiding them. And if you can't capture their attention in the first 10, 15 seconds, you may lose all credibility. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so there's so many different ways to get people hyped and involved. But I also give some instruction to a lot of people, don't insult your audience. One of the things that I hate, and think about yourself. Have you ever been in the audience and seen an MC or a host or maybe even a speaker say, good morning, everybody. 
And everybody goes, good morning. That wasn't good enough. I said, good morning. Oh, boy, that, that bugs me. <laughs> okay. It, it struck a chord for you just now, Paul, right? Yes, it did. But the thing is, a lot of people do that because they've seen others do that. Yeah. And, and they're not getting the hype. They're not getting the people riled up. <clears throat> and so find different ways to approach that moment. And don't alienate your audience. Don't insult your audience. Oftentimes, if I'm not getting a reaction that I want, I may get it the second time. Or I can say, that was amazing. That was a nine. I know we can take it to a 10. Let's go to the next level. Mm -hmm. Right? Let them know that was great and we can do even better. Instead of like, oh, that was terrible. We can do better than that. And so that's one of the, my favorite things to teach people is don't insult your audience be with them and you're also the conduit of energy you are the one that is representing the event and guiding them to the end product or the ending of the event oh love though that that phrase conduit of energy and that's really what you're doing with all of these hats that that you wear rob that i've been noticing um in each of these roles a game show host, same deal, right? Uh, conduit of energy. I know when I was a kid, I got to be honest with everyone, uh, growing up in the era of the game shows, when they went big, I really wanted to grow up and be a game show host. So you are a grown-up game show host, which is pretty cool. Why should a company consider hiring you for an employee party? What's what's in your arsenal of activities? I like you use the word activity. Sometimes uh, when I've worked with clients, they... <clears throat> I, I propose a game show or games, and sometimes they that's an adverse reaction, which is right. kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they think, "Oh, this is going to oh, be, yeah, no oh, this is gonna be weird. Right. Or we're going to embarrass the audience." And so I sometimes like to reframe it as an engagement activity. Yes, but I also want to let them know that I'm not there to embarrass their audience. We need volunteers, and we curate the game show experience for those people. And I always like to figure out what games we want to do. And so if you're getting into gamification, I always like to put it into a couple of different buckets. One of them are team-oriented games where you bring up people to the stage and they have different teams or you have people in the audience working together as, at their tables as, as a team. You have individual games where everybody's all playing individually and they're all playing towards this goal. And so there's... Um, or one-on-one -on -one games where we have two contestants against each other, right? And so there's lots of different ways to approach gamification in games um, and doing either-or games and, and simplifying it and not complicating it too much. When I say an either-or game, you give them two choices. One person chooses one choice, the other person chooses another choice. And you can always get inspiration for games from modern-day game shows or past game shows and making it your own. I'm currently listening to the autobiography of one of the most famous game show hosts. When you think of game show hosts, who are the top game show hosts that you think of, Paul? That you uh, Pat Sajak, Wink Martindale. Yeah. Wonderful. And uh, Alex Trebek. There you go. Ding, 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 ding. You win the <laughs> prize. I'm currently listening to Alex Trebek's book. And what I love in his book, and he's reiterated this multiple times. He insisted on, because he did multiple hours, and 
if you're if you know the book by Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, putting in your ten thousand hours. Mm-hmm. He put in his ten thousand hours before he did Jeopardy. Wow. Doing other game shows, but also doing broadcast and he was the guy that would always step up when he worked for the canadian broadcasting company he was always volunteering to work on weekends because he was a single guy and he would work on holidays and so he always put in those hours but he also put in some goodwill and for when he needed the time off to go and do game shows or productions in the united states but i digress and we go back to alex trebek and when he started his job as the host of Jeopardy. When that intro happens, if you can think about it, the music plays, welcome out, Alex Trebek. He doesn't say, welcome out, the star of Jeopardy. They say, welcome out, the host. And he always insisted it. I am not the star of this show. The questions and the contestants are the star of the show. I am just the host. And so... That is my goal is to put my audience into the show. I think that's why people like game shows so much is they live vicariously through other people. Yep. And I worked as a game show host for the Utah Jazz right before the pandemic in 2020, and it was a dream job. And I would be out there at halftime, you know, the, the buzzer sounds, I walked straight out there and we did some games. And one of the best game shows that we did was Deal or No Deal. And it's such a fascinating game. All they're doing is they're choosing cases, and and it's just luck of the draw, and they could win some cash, but they could take the deal or not the deal or whatever, right? And it was always very popular because I believe people were living vicariously through this person. They're like, (laughs) pick this case. And if that person wins, we all win, and we all celebrate that they get some cash. And that's what's so much fun about being a game show host is giving away other people's money or caches and prizes and whatever it may be. But seeing people win, uh, and I love giving people the opportunity just to have enough to, to create joy through giving away free stuff. It's yeah, fun. that is fun. So we've been talking a lot about adding energy in all these hats yeah. that you've been wearing. Why in the workplace is it everybody's responsibility to add energy? What would be a payoff both to the individual and the organization? That's a tough thing because sometimes we have, we're dealing with a lot of personalities in a workplace or on a team. Not everybody engages and interacts the same way. True. And I talk about this when, when it comes to employee engagement and gamification and even the reward system. Not everybody likes to be rewarded the same way. And so we have to keep that in mind. Everybody can bring something to the table. What type of energy can you bring to your organization? What type of ideas? And sometimes it might be daunted because there might be louder opinions in the room or louder personalities, right? Yeah. But I think one of the best things that you can do is volunteer and serve. And that's what I do within the organizations I've been working in. I have been on the board for the National Speakers Association, my chapter here in Utah. And when I first started, I just wanted to find a way to serve and showcase and highlight. I think if you have a talent and if you have something that you want to bring to your organization and they just don't know it yet, serve, 
volunteer, showcase your superpower. And once you get that opportunity to showcase and serve, people will start recognizing you for that. And that's what I have done within my own organization of the National Speakers Association. Um, on a national level, I started volunteering and teaching other chapters about gamification. And slowly but surely, people, the word started to get out that, oh, there's this guy who teaches on gamification and can help other speakers. And I just keep volunteering and I keep leaning into that space. And I often meet with people one-on-one -on -one and they're like, well, uh, how much are your services? How can I help you? And it, for me, it's about the spirit of what we call Cavett. Who's Cavett? He's the founder of the National Speakers Association. And when they first started this association in the 70s, all the speakers around him were like, no, oh, we can't do this. We can't have an association. There's not enough business for us. There's not enough pie. Hmm. <laughs> so what did he say to them? Well, let's just make the pie bigger. What does that mean? The bigger, bigger the pie, the bigger the slice that we can get. And we have an abundance mentality by helping others grow more. Because guess what? We can't do all the jobs. And by creating better speakers, better events, we create more demand as well. I saw this MC, I saw this speaker, I want that at my event. That person is unavailable, they're too expensive. But what did they do? They increased the size of that pie and the demand of what it may be. I've seen this with the electric car, as weird as it may seem. They tried to start the electric car back in the early 2000s, and I watched this whole documentary, the Who Killed the Electric Car? But Elon Musk put all his energy and effort to creating the Tesla. Now the electric vehicle is in higher demand, and people want more and more of it. It's just an example of the industry. And he created a bigger pie, a bigger demand for the electric vehicle. It's progress. It's, it's ways we can create more abundance within whatever we do. Yeah, I was able to use that illustration of the bigger pie at, a, at an event uh, the other night where I met uh, another uh, coach in the room. And yeah. I was on stage. I was on a panel. And I was talking about competition. So in your small business, what do you do about competition? And I use that exact example because I, I, I too, am an NSA member. The pie is big enough for all of us to succeed. I go, where's the other, where's the coach in the room? She raised her hand and I go, I want you to succeed. And, and there's a ton of clients out there that need to grow. And so we can both succeed. I want to help you succeed. I hope you'll help me. So that, that is a really great, um, just a great model of abundance. Yeah. Don't compete, collaborate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last two questions for you, Rob. What do you want to promote for our listeners' personal leadership development? And then how could a listener best contact you if they wanted to follow up? Yeah. I I just love being able to serve and do events. Um, my business is ever-evolving. Uh, one day I would like to start coaching other people on how to be a better MC and a host. Mm -hmm. But at this point, I'm... I'm more about spreading my message about being the first one on the dance floor and helping others with that leadership message. So my keynote, be the first one on the dance floor. And you can go to robfrey.com, R-O-B-F-E-R-R-E.com. You can go to Instagram 
and follow me there as well. You can see all the fun things that I'm doing. And I like to share that with my audiences because I want them to know that I live that lifestyle in the sense of being the first person on the dance floor. And the name of my business is called The Life of the Party. And I, I like being that. I like being able to infuse my energy into whatever I do. So you can find me there as well. So, and then I also have YouTube. Things are ever expanding, but there you go. And another fun thing that I, I uh, do as well is I help connect teams virtually. You know, the pandemic was interesting because we created a demand for something that wasn't there before, which was virtual events and virtual team building activities. And so I do that constantly where I'm doing team building events and game shows virtually. And it's great because sometimes we have these companies or teams and they're all spread out. And so they jump on a Zoom call and they talk things out and that's it. But how do they celebrate? How do they do some team building? I do that virtually as well. Yeah, so cool. And you know, like, well, Rob's in Salt Lake City. I, you know, can't fly him out. Does you don't have to fly him out? He can actually add energy to your offsite or your um, your your virtual meetings, and he can do it right there from his studio. So, Rob, thanks for for all you do. Uh, I also want to plug that that uh, you've got you've got a YouTube video out there that was even featured in success.com about how you added value during the pandemic. So I'll just tease everybody to go over to YouTube and check that out. Is there a is there a link to that as well? Yeah, yeah, I can definitely it's on my YouTube page as well. I went yeah. out and did social distance dance parties during the pandemic. <laughs> and I wanted to connect my community. And it really came out from wanting to be a part of something bigger, but doing it in a safe and organized way. So cool. So cool. Thank you, Rob, for all the value that you added today. I've got a few takeaways from him today. One of the last things Rob shared was you can add energy to your team. And yes, we all have different personalities. So in your style, with your talent or gift, serve. Use that talent. You don't have to be the one on stage or the one talking in the meeting. You could be the one that is supporting. And that's going to add energy uh, to those around. Be a conduit of energy, whether you're up front or in a meeting or any group that you are, um, you do have some influence. You may not be the leader, but you have influence that you can add along the way. And then, as Rob mentioned there at the end, be an early adopter. Be that first follower. There's another good YouTube video of first follower uh, out there that you may want to watch because that might trigger others to get involved, which makes it a great opportunity for them. The GFT podcast is all about putting practical tips from my guests into action for your personal leadership development. I want to thank you for listening to episode 36. Please spread the word about this podcast to those in your circle of influence who are hungry to grow forward in their lives. Remember, you must lead yourself well before you can lead your team well. And until next week, keep growing forward. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Grow Forward Today. Remember to visit Paul's website for more tools that you can use at growingforwardservices.net. Join us again for another edition very soon on the Voice America Business Channel.